0: This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. Well, we are back again doing our best to see how we can obtain the Lutheran mind. And the way that we're doing this is going through the small catechism with Pastor Oakery. Pastor Oakery is going to be taking us through the first table of God's law, of course, beginning with commandment number one.
1: Yeah, commandment one is really the only commandment we need. It is the commandment that rules them all, kind of like the one ring in uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, in that way. And by that we mean, and and Luther really uh, plays this out in his large catechism, but if we do uh, have no other gods before uh, the one true God, uh, of course, we're not going to take the Lord's name in vain. Of course, we're not going to steal. Of course, we're not going to covet because all of that is wrapped up in our relationship with him. We wouldn't do any of that. But it, it's significant then to note that God wasn't satisfied to just leave it at that. Love me, the end. He he at least had to add a new addition to love. Christ himself did, right? Love God, but also love your neighbor. Again, those are summary statements. They obviously aren't, weren't meant to be taken as conclusive. Like, I get to inject my own understanding into these things. And that's why God gives us more commandments. So that we can better understand what it means to love God and to love our neighbor. And we see this in the world all the time. People are saying like, well, God just wants us to love each other. And thus it's perfectly fine for me to do this perfectly sinful thing, (laughs) Um, which is clearly against God's commandment, which are about how we're supposed to love each other. And you say, yeah, you can't hold those two things in tension, but still the first commandment is a summary of all the law and it governs all the rest of the law. The, The reason we don't murder our neighbor One, it's written on my heart, right? I'm not just sitting around with a desire to murder people. But uh, I don't do it because it is part of this relationship with God. God created me for life, not for death. Uh, God created me for chastity, not for adultery. That is one way for us to understand this too, which is I think brings the commandments into a new dimension. So often we just see the commandments as do this, don't do that. You know, here's my my list of instructions, uh, almost like it's programming a BCR or something, right? beep, bop, boop, and all of a sudden things are working. A VCR, by the way, is a thing that you would put uh, uh, tapes into and watch them before we had DVD and streaming services. Is that scotch tape? (laughs) I know. I'm such such a dinosaur that I still talk about programming the VCR. But but the analogy holds, right? Getting your computer to work, getting your, your DVD player to work, whatever it might be. And it's not. It is actually God protecting the good gifts he's given us. You know, And we're going to see this as we go through. The second commandment, God gives us the gift of his own name. His revelation of that name to Moses is a big deal. The, the third commandment, he's given us the ability to worship him. That's a big deal, and he wants to protect that.
0: So if I use his name correctly and not misuse it, and if I take him up, so to speak, on receiving his benefits on the day in which he's commanded— by, you know, uh, not despising preaching in his word, but Mm -hmm. holding it sacred, gladly hearing it and learning it. Are these concrete expressions
1: of my love for God? I would say yes. When we talk about God's law, we talk about it as a curb, a mirror, and a guide. And what we're talking about in that context is the third use, a guide. And it is a guide. We recognize what Christ has done for us on the cross. We recognize this wonderful relationship I now have with him because he died on the cross and because of my baptism, because of the word, because of the sacrament of the altar, all drawing me into this life of faith, this relationship with God. And now I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, well, how do I live as a child of God? Uh, How do I show my love to God? How do I show my love to my neighbor? And this does give us concrete ways to do that. While at the same time, constantly exposing our daily need to do better because we fail or we don't do as well as we could. Uh, it's always still going to be a, a mirror showing us our sin. But this guide aspect is uh, this loving aspect. And it is wonderful because, you know, God does say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's it's a joy to hear. And I think sometimes as Lutherans, we can forget that in some ways because we're so busy recognizing our sin, that we sometimes forget that we are saints. Um, saints of God made pure and holy in the blood of Christ. And, and there is a place for us to do good works. We never take credit for them. That's God working in us. But uh, to recognize that we are uh, an instrument God is using in the world and saying, wow, that's a, that's a pretty neat thing that God's using such a feeble instrument, but he's using it nonetheless to bring about wonderful things, bring about his gracious will. You're
0: familiar with how the evangelical church rolls One of the things that uh, I have noticed in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, where a lot of evangelical, and I'm talking about the hip and trendy uh, evangelical churches, they they have these little taglines for their church. Their church might be called Fuel Church or Ignite Church or Impact Church or all these silly names. But then underneath, it's kind of like their mission statement. Mm -hmm. And it's love God, love people. I've seen uh, one in particular that says, um, love life. But then most of the time it's love God, love people, change the world, or serve the world. Clearly, in the love God, I mean, obviously this is a reference to what Jesus uh, was asked, what are the two greatest commandments, but if you wanted to look past what Jesus said, what Jesus
1: was referring to,
0: is what you're speaking of now.
1: Right. There's nothing wrong with those taglines. Those are good... Charges to put on people because there are charges that God himself have put on us, right? Love God love people even change the world If you're taking that as kind of the Great Commission uh, light But it doesn't do us an awful lot of good to have slogans if those slogans aren't informed by scripture
0: Well, and on top of that, it's devoid of Gospel it
1: is and that's an important aspect too, right? We are forgiven to forgive Uh, Just like Abraham we are blessed to be a blessing and if you just tell people to go be a blessing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Without uh, that gospel truth. I mean, that the gospel is what drives us out into the world to to be people of God. Although, of course, so often um, other factors come into play like guilt or um, fear or other things. And, and that's unfortunate because that's not the motivation that God would want us to have. So, I mean, it's an interesting point. A slogan is a slogan. And I I certainly wouldn't deny, you know, just based on a slogan a church has, I wouldn't say, well, they don't have the gospel there because their little slogan doesn't have it. But um, you make a good point. The the language of loving God is not something that you're just going to be able to figure out in the philosophies of your own mind. And that's the point. So, Let's let's state the first commandment and its meaning given in the catechism and, and we can start to explore that. Uh, you shall have no other gods. And then uh, what does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And so we get these three big words, fear, love, and trust. We're already struggling with the love aspect of it. And, and I think we are because the, the world has used and abused love uh, to all kinds of uh, horrible ends. And... And They seem good at, at the end of the day, you know, like the the slogan "Love wins." That's a that's a world slogan, right? And and in that context, love simply means accepting people no matter what. But already as a as as just a people, not as God's people, but just as a culture, recognizing like just accepting people no matter what they do or or or, or how they behave or anything it doesn't actually work. <laughs> and we know that we know that in our heart of hearts, and so. My, my point is this, that picture of love is a bankrupt picture of love. And, and if we let people go along with the delusion that that picture of love is what God's picture of love is, um, when they realize that it's a delusion and it's a failure, they're going to look at God and say, well, he's a delusion, he's a failure. And, and that's why we have to stand so firm in God's word. The picture that God gives to us isn't acceptance of anything for whatever reason. It's, it's more of a, a parental love. Uh, It's a love that sets boundaries and of course the Ten Commandments That's one of the things it does is it sets boundaries for our lives and we hate boundaries Sin has made us hate boundaries, right? Satan came to Adam and Eve the one boundary God had put on Adam and Eve He said you just step right over that line that God has drawn and they did and and so what Satan has convinced us of is that freedom uh, and love and all of these things uh, they are it is us being able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, but that's not true. And that's not even how people have considered freedom by and large. I think about like classical Greek thinking freedom for them was not doing whatever you wanted. Freedom for them was being the best you, you could be. And, and then you're not fighting yourself. And, and I think actually the Greeks had, you know, still a glimmer of that, of that divine truth that. Uh, that's what God wants us to be. He wants us, in his love, he wants us to be who he made us to be. Uh, his image bearers into this creation who are having dominion but also shaping it, but not doing it in an awful way. What that means is when God, if God's trying to shape us and guide us to be his people, uh, sometimes his love is going to be a disciplinary love.
0: Before, though, we get to love, I mean, if somebody's opening up the catechism for the very first time, they're going to be confronted with this explanation of this commandment, which says to fear. Yes. I would assume that for most, they they see what that says, they know what that means, but they're going to try to defang it. They're going to try to take the, the teeth out of it and say, well, that clearly can't mean what it says. Yeah. And what you typically hear people say, is that it doesn't mean fear like you think, it means
1: awe or reverence. Uh, I remember being taught even myself when I was being confirmed when I was younger uh, that it was uh, respect, right? Yeah. And I do, I do think that is a soft peddling of the language of fear. I think, I think all of that is included in there, um, but it, it, it's, it's talking about emotions without maybe driving at the source of this, this um, word. Now, I fully admit, like when I say fear to people, I think most people are going to be thinking uh, a horror movie. And God is not coming into our life to terrify us. And, I, and so I think it's important for us to unhinge our minds. Uh, fear and terrify are two different things. And, and, and this is not a horror movie, God. We don't fear him in the same way we fear the, the murderer in the dark. Uh, but we do fear him. And we fear him because he is powerful. And we fear him because, in fact, he holds us in his hand. So there's three places that I'd like to look. The, actually, the fear of the Lord is just all over Scripture. But um, the first thing that I would like to look at is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And, and this is the thesis statement of Proverbs. And, and actually, this, this is important because it, it prevents us from turning Proverbs into simply a book of little axioms for life. And that's because this thesis statement denies that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And and so we see two things there, is that we cannot we cannot be wise in a true sense, in that divine sense, unless we fear the Lord. And fear is part of faith. What that means is fear recognizes that God is God and I am not. And that God is bigger and more powerful than me. I think that's why we struggle with it in our culture, because we don't we don't want God to be big and powerful. We want Jesus, our buddy, right? Kicking the soccer ball with us, cheering us on at our sporting events, those kind of things, you know. And and I've seen like pictures of, of that, you know, Jesus, my buddy. Is he my friend? What a friend I have in Jesus. I'm not denying that that's true. But but when you take that picture of Jesus, and that's the only picture you have. Why would you ever fear this guy, <laughs> right? He's my buddy. I mean, why you, you'd almost struggle to respect him, right? Just, eh, no, he's my pal. I, you know, my homeboy. Yeah, but we we need to remember that that Jesus is also the the judge uh, who will come again, right? Um, and and of course, we confess that in the Apostles' Creed, which is this wonderful thing that when you don't have the Apostles' Creed as a part of your life of worship, it can I think it it can leave a hole in your understanding of who Jesus is. Where you say, um, you know, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and will come again to judge both the living and the dead. Um, That's a fearful thing. Uh, We just um, had the the baptism of Jesus uh, this Sunday. And in Luke, especially um, uh, in, in the reading we had, we have the, uh, some prelude with, with John talking about Jesus. He says, I'm not fit to untie his sandals. And he says, I baptize you with water. The one who is coming will baptize you with, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then he tells us what that fire means. He says, oh yeah, he's got his one-wing fork in his hand. He's going to separate, right? He's going to judge. The wheat's going to go into the barn, but the chaff, the garbage, it's going to go into the unquenchable fire. So the fire he's talking about is the fire of judgment. Um, and that's very clear from what, from what he's saying there. That's a fearful thing. I don't want to be... Thrown into the unquenchable fire. Well, I mean, it, this
0: is exactly the words of Hebrews, right? Where it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God.
1: Yeah. And so this fear is an important part. And I just to stress this in a couple more places, Psalm chapter 2, and I'll, I, I'm going to skip to the last three verses, 10 through 12. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, there's that call for wisdom again, be warned, O rulers of the earth, right? There's consequences, that's the point, point. And, and wisdom is, is acknowledging that. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him.
0: Isn't it amazing how those two there are combined? That fear, that holy fear, yeah. reverence, all of this, but obviously, as you've been saying, you know, little little bit more on the on the fear side can still relate to kissing the sun. Yeah, in that you you're not fearful so much so that you're repulsed.
1: Exactly, and that's the difference between fear and terror. It's a fear that helps us recognize how bad things are it's the healthy fear of the dog that's snapping at you that might bite you because what is it, what does it cause you to do? It causes you to flee to refuge. And of course there's, there's tons of Psalms and, and other places in the Bible talk about fleeing to the refuge of God. And so we aren't just to fear him. We also love him and we hold those two things in tension. And that's, that's this wonderful thing. We rejoice with trembling because we know that on our own we are doomed and that causes me to to tremble, right? And yet we rejoice because we're not left alone. That fear and that love are always going to be held in tension. Our, our instinct, I think, especially in this day and age, is to focus on the love. The instinct in the past, uh, in Luther's day, or I think about like sinners in the hand of an angry God, right? That's a, that's powerful fear. Like be afraid because God is out to get you. And he's a, he's, he's a bit angry with you. Both of those are failures to hold those two things in tension. And we hate holding things in tension because it, it's stressful. <laughs> and yet we're not allowed to let these two things fall out. We love God uh, because he has saved us, but we fear him because if we ever abandon uh, what he has done for us, if we ever say, oh, you know, I mean, what Jesus did was nice, but I'm not, I'm not really that bad. The sin I do, I mean... Does God really hate that I'm doing that? But it's probably, it's probably fine, right? Those kind of things start to come on us when we lose our fear. No, that sin is, is going to condemn you. Flee to the cross, right? Flee to the refuge of the cross. And, and so it's so wonderful that Luther recognizes that. And he says, no, you're going to hold this intention. You're going to fear God at the exact same time you're going to love him he's doing both things in our life at the same time it's law and it's gospel
0: so this is why you would see in all of the explanations that fear and that love fear and love
1: yeah that was the point I wanted to make is fear and love really does sum itself up in us trusting God we trust that when he tells us that there's gonna be punishment for sin we believe him that's trusting but also when he says your sins are forgiven trust him too
0: so why is it the first explanation has the word trust in it and none of the others do is it because luther is showing us that this is what trust is and
1: then he drops that out from here on through the rest of the commandments well he's he's making an argument for faith here and and he's saying where are you going to place your faith and your hope for the
0: first commandment
1: and of course all the other commandments flow into that but um you know and he he uh, goes into this in more detail in his large catechism. He says, whatever you put your, your trust in, that's your God. That's your God. And so I think it's really important for him to bring that word out. F- through the rest of the commandments, every single one, the meaning is going to say, we should fear and love God at the very beginning. And he's using that really as a way to remind us of the first commandment and to bring us into that. And what we should be doing as we go is saying, we should fear and love God because we trust him. We trust what he said about himself in his word. He's a God who hates sin and punishes sin. We also trust that he's a God who, in his tremendous love for us, sent his son to die for the cross on us. And and that's an important thing because, don't you see it where people c- come to the commandments and they think, okay, I'm just going to read these in isolation, God's instruction for my life. hmm and Luther just basic
0: ab- instructions before leaving Earth I know. have you heard this? oh yeah, i t- I said that the other day to uh, Pastor Bruss in uh, one of our podcasts he 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 said i I have never heard that
1: that's because Pastor Bruss is so Lutheran that he has never been exposed to these awful things and it's always a he 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 knows such wonderful Lutheran minutia. I'll be he'll be like, oh yeah, uh Frederick Gingelbaum did that in sixteen seventy two and I'll be like, "Well, oh, I, I did not." <laughs> good on, good on, friend. <laughs> but but we and I bring something else to the table because we're like, we actually know what's happening out there in the big wide world and what some of our parishioners are hearing <laughs> that you've never heard. You know, I, although I do love it because sometimes people will be like, "Have you heard this contemporary Christian song?" And I'll be like, "I have, I have no idea what that is." Right. So we we all have our we all have our uh, we've all been uh, spared some some worldly things. Yeah. The, this instruction and Luther says no. Don't you dare come to these commandments and just treat them as if they're their own thing. They they exist only in faith, fear, and love. And the commandments inspire both. They bring a sense of fear to me. Oh, oh, I'm not loving my neighbor like I should. Yikes. There's a consequence to that. Yikes. Flee to the cross, right? And oh, thank you, Lord. And And now we can come to the commandments with a loving thing saying, oh, and now I'm going to now I'm going to take these commandments up in, in service to my neighbor in love of God, even as we still continue to see our failure in them. And I love that about Luther is he he never lets us forget Jesus for a moment, even, even here. And and that fear and love is, is what's going to carry us through the whole thing, that that we're living, uh, we're, we're experiencing these commandments in our relationship with God, which is established in the cross. I mean, we could come to them with just fear, but then it would just be like, I don't know. It's just miserable, right? Reading the commandments would be miserable if it was just fear. Reading the commandments would be kind of silly if it was just love. Like, I love, I, I, yeah, I love a lot of things. Yeah, I love a lot. I love popcorn. It doesn't you know it doesn't mean doesn't mean a whole, awful lot for my life. And, and but you see, we, when we approach it with both, I think makes them shine bright in our lives in the way the way God would intend them to. And really, you think about that that little introductory statement: we should fear and love God so that and. Um, Sometimes it just seems like a, a, an easy way to kind of get ourselves going, but he's really saying something profound and theological with those words.
0: Sure. So when you see the explanations for the first time, uh, you start to notice that Luther, in the explanation, gives the negative first and then the positive, with the exception of the Sixth Commandment and the first. Right. Why does, why does he deviate at least in the first. We'll save the sixth for when we get there. But when in the first, why do you think he deviates from this positive negative?
1: I think that uh, he does it because a positive statement is always going to be stricter than a negative statement. And you, you see that. Like you can you can read the fifth commandment and be like, Well, I've never murdered anybody. That's Check that one off my list. But no, you can't, because the positive statement is so much more demanding, and I think that's why he does it. And and he's you know he's writing this in a day and age where no one's bowing down to Baal or Zeus or Odin or whatever. You know that gross idol worship is not a part of Luther's life, and it's really not too terribly a part of our life. I mean, there's some neo-paganism stuff going on, but I would say in my day-to-day dealings with parishioners, they're not coming to me struggling with. Sacrificing
0: that. a child and offering it to Molech?
1: Right. No. Yeah. They're like, Should I should I get on board with this whole child sacrifice thing? Yeah. No. But what they are struggling with is this more abstract the more abstract gods we have of, of the gifts of God that are being abused. Uh, wealth, power, families one, um sexuality. Sure, sexuality. Pleasure. Yeah. I mean, and the list goes on and on. Any good thing that God has given us, we have a knack of turning it into our God. The place where we turn when the going gets rough, right? Well, I, I don't know my way through this situation, but this is pleasurable, so this is what I'm gonna do. Uh, that's how we decide, right? Uh, this I'm gonna use my wealth to see me out of this this situation. I'm gonna use my power, and and we seek those things. So I think he really is trying to drive to this place where we sit down and understand, okay, um, I have a problem. I have an idolatry problem. That, and also, the this meaning is the thing is the governing meaning for all the commandments, and I think if he had done it with the the same negative-positive reading, I think it would have weakened its its power as a governing uh, as a governing meaning. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and then we should fear and love God. We should fear and love God. We should fear and love God. We should, okay. He's trying to teach us something here too. Keep referring back to the first, even as you understand the second through tenth.
0: All right, so let's move to the second.
1: So the second commandment is really interesting to me. This is mainly the commandment I use to get after the kids, not to say, oh, my God. right? <laughs> That's so often, I think, how a lot of people frame this in their mind. That, and it, that is a problem. I don't want my kids just randomly taking the Lord's name in vain. But sure.
0: But let's read But there's more than that.
1: Well, absolutely there's more than that. It, it takes us to a very interesting place at the end of the day, I think. So, the second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, referencing back to the first commandment, so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name. So there we have five things we aren't supposed to do. And that's the negative. That's the negative. But and you know big transition words. Uh, always pay attention to them. buts, also's, and those are important. But call upon it in every trouble. Pray, praise, and give thanks. And so four positive things. Call upon it in every trouble. Pray, praise, give thanks. And those overlap a bit. So let's look at how we're supposed to how we're supposed to not use God's name. Uh, we're not supposed to curse. Well, what does it mean to curse? Cursing would be using God to condemn somebody, right? God damn it, or God damn you to hell. Uh, I mean, that would be the strongest. And and that's asking God to do something that is not his uh, good and gracious will to do. God does not want people to be damned. And to ask him to do that is to misuse his name. And yet we are very tempted all the time to do that. It's 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 so strange to me how quickly... We can, um, I think it, it it's almost, to me, it's almost proof of sin and, and the truth of, of our sinfulness that of all the things that we could use to curse or to swear, swearing, of course, is making oaths, right? I swear to God, I didn't do it. Kids will say that all the time, too.
0: Well, if you've ever seen cops, you know, it's uh, one of those things when the police officer pulls over the drunk driver. And then, uh, you know, he gets out of the car and he says, you know, if you had anything to drink tonight to a man, they will all swear to God that they have not been drinking. Yeah. <laughs> as if the, the cops never heard this before. And as if when the person says, oh, I swear to God, then the cop's going to go, OK, sorry to bother you. Please get home safe.
1: But isn't it strange to you? It's strange to me that even like the most rank atheist will use the Lord's name in vain. It's like we're almost driven in our sin to break this commandment.
0: Well, you know, I I had a professor in seminary uh, who was uh, who was an atheist and hung out at the bars, as he would uh, recall. And he would say, this is one of the first things that started to drive me to God's word was why is it that I and all of these other rank atheists will always speak horribly about jesus and god nobody was in there talking smack about allah yeah. you know or hit, hitting their toe and saying yelling out buddha That this was his uh this was his thing he said this drove me to want that was the question why is it that we all we besmirch yeah the triune godhead yeah a no. member of the triune godhead. Why? Why is that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's so powerful that even to the point where, you, like, you have to give people substitute words. You can't just be like, just say by Zeus. Who cares? Zeus doesn't care. Zeus isn't real. No, they have to say by gosh or by golly. You know, these substitute words. And and we have a million substitute words to kind of try to skirt this commandment. And I don't want to get into, you know, is it okay to say gosh? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It, it's it's not the best thing in the world. <laughs> Let's say that. But it is interesting that we're never like. By Zeus or by Thor, you know, we're, we're, that that never even crosses our mind to say. We'd feel we'd feel silly saying that, but you know, golly gee whiz is all <laughs> that'll come out of our mouth. Sometimes well, come out of my mouth sometimes. So, it, it, but it is so interesting that misusing God's name is is compulsory on us. Like our sinfulness drives us to break this commandment, which seems like the most innocuous of commandments. And and like you said, it exposes something in us. Like oh, that is. Weird. Right. And, and it should make us question and, and also start to recognize how powerful sin is and how the misuse of God's name is an important part. And we're going to get into that, too. Right. With uh, with the Lord's Prayer. The connection here is with the second commandment is to uh, the first petition. Uh, Hallowed be thy name. May your name be kept holy. There's there's things that don't want God's name to be kept holy among us. And and our sinful flesh is one of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is something where when you think about it, you really can go back to uh, Isaiah when he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And, he, you know, the first thing out of his mouth is, I, my lips are unclean and I live among a people of unclean lips. Well, you know, when we examine it as well and we think about all the ways in which we break this commandment, yeah. we could echo exactly what Isaiah is saying.
1: Right. No, absolutely. We can. And, and we should. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I do get after the kids when they t- when I hear them take the Lord's name. In vain. And I don't you know, I don't get me. And I just say, what did you say? <laughs> and they almost always know right away what I'm getting at. So let's not take the Lord's name in vain here. And I'm just trying to discipline their brain. Sure, to sure. hear it, Yeah. To hear it come out of their mouth.
0: Because they wouldn't say that of their mother.
1: No, I would hope not.
0: But no. yet God's free game. Because mom's going to reach over and smack them in the back of the head for doing that or take their phone. You know, what's what's God going to do?
1: Well, it's, it's that lack of fear, <laughs> right? Um, but so let's let's keep looking at it. So curse, swear, swearing oaths and, and saying, oh, you know, I swear to God. Use satanic arts. Let's skip over that one because that one is really weird. <laughs> like you throw that one in there and you think to yourself, use the satanic arts or the old one uh, use witchcraft right mm-hmm. you, you'll get either one from akea um so lie or deceive i sometimes wonder sometimes if luther just uses uh lie and deceive are very close to each other and sometimes luther uses very similar words just to help create a rhythm and a pattern in the reading but there is a, there is a difference between lying and deceiving them um, lying is um is you know did you do it no i didn't do it right even though you did do it it's just kind of a a, a blatant falsehood deceiving is more you know trickery or those kinds of things well I, one could be
0: could you say that one is more word oriented and the other is more action oriented if you really were trying to to uh make a distinction here
1: yeah i mean i think you could uh it's uh it's well, I think a, a lie is often a bit passive like somebody asked you a question and you lie in response whereas right. whereas deceiving, by words,
0: deceiving is more action oriented. Yeah. You didn't say anything. Yeah.
1: And I certainly think you're driving what's happening there, right? Like you might use words to deceive somebody, but you're you're going out of the way. Like when the when people say, "Hey, I'm a prince from Zimbabwe," right? Who wants to give you a million. No, that's deception. It's a, it's a little bit different than a lie. They're they're driving uh, the 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 deception there, the deceiving. So lying or deceiving right and and it's strange i mean we don't we don't see it a lot i don't think but just using god to to put a veneer of of good things and so i think about uh well i think what i think about are the the shysters right um who are like god really wants you to give a thousand dollars to this thing no to me well (laughs) <laughs> this thing, which happens to go, go to me, <laughs> right? right, And God will bless you tenfold. Right, which which actually brings me into the place where I want st- to – this is an understanding of the second commandment, which I think the more I dwell on it, the more I think it's very true that the, the second commandment has application to all of our lives. But I think that the second commandment has a special application to teachers of God's word, um, that uh, lying or deceiving as a preacher – is you know to get up there and say I am God's representative among you, and to say things that God would not say,
0: or to say God told me to tell you
1: this. Yes. Or and then and I think that helps us understand satanic arts too, because I mean I I always rack my brain like does, I don't I don't I don't know a lot of satanists I don't know any satanists as far as I know, <laughs> um, and I don't know what satanic rituals involve. I I know sometimes they, they involve desecrating Christian things, but I always thought, like. Do Satanists use God's name to help power their rituals? Don't they don't they rely on Satan's power or something? But but what about a faith healer who comes up and says, "By the power of God, I'm going to do some magic," <laughs> and and that is a satanic art.
0: Or even more so is to say something like, um, not even a healing. At least you could verify that uh, that there is a healing that takes place, or to say something like uh, what I heard a guy say the other day. Uh, in a sermon he said the lord told me when i was in my 20s he said you're going to reach thousands upon thousands of people there's no guarantee that that's going to happen
1: right he's lying yeah and and of course and your point
0: is this is this this correlates to witchcraft
1: well it does it's it's i think it's anytime we kind of fall into some magical thinking about our, our, our Christian faith, and, and teachers can be prone to do this, where uh, that's any any name it claim it theology, that's magical thinking, that's, you, that's mustering witchcraft, that's mustering satanic arts to, uh, see, when we pray, we're, we're living in a relationship with God, and we never want to pray against God's will, we always want to pray according to God's will, but see, this name it, claim it stuff and, and other things like that, which say, you know, if you, if you tell God that you want a million dollars, he has to give you a million dollars. That's, that's using prayer to uh, kind of put God in an arm lock. And that's, how awful is that? That's such an awful way of approaching our faith. And yet, that's exactly what these people teach, is that somehow through your prayer in God's name, you force you force him to do what you want. You get to call the shots. God doesn't get to call the shots. So,
0: Pastor Oakry, in the Old Testament, when there was a prophet who would stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord never said that, or certainly instructed this prophet to say Mm -hmm. what he said, what were you supposed to do with with this said prophet?
1: Oh, well, I mean, the instruction of the Old Testament was you would, you would kill a false preacher.
0: And it's because they're breaking the second commandment.
1: Yes, they're, they're breaking, yeah, they're they're putting, the, they're putting words in God's mouth, and that's, that's really bad. Um, also, even in the, the New Testament, we have one really powerful example of this, which is Simon the sorcerer. Uh, and so let me read this real briefly. Uh, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. They came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. That had not yet fallen on them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a little mysterious there, and that's for another day. But then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was uh, given through the laying on of the apostle's hand, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And again, this is this magical thing. And this is Simon the Sorcerer, Simon the Magician. And he's saying, like, I can just buy buy and sell God's power, right? He thinks he can control the power. This is, this is, the, this is the difference between our life and faith and magical thinking, right? We use words, and those words have power. Uh, the words of institution. Uh, we, we speak them, uh, and we know that in the saying of those words, because they contain the promise of God things are happening the bread and the wine are now body and blood the body and blood of christ for the forgiveness of sins
0: they're performative
1: yes but it's not magical okay it's it god is still in complete control the only reason i say those words isn't because it's my the magical incantation that forces god to do it and and no matter wh- and no matter what context you're in if you say those magic words it works we say those words because they contain a promise and they and that promise is true and real and, and when god speaks it happens it's same thing in baptism I baptize you in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit we say those words and those words are important not because they're the magical incantation that makes baptism work but because the promise of God is contained in those words and that's a really big difference but I see this all the time where people struggle with that like um you know if <laughs> that that they think the words are magic and of course in the medieval age, that they, they had some of that thinking that the the priest's words were the magic words that made uh, this this wonderful spiritual gift happen. That's not the way of thinking, that, and that's not to diminish the words themselves. It's just to put them in their proper context. That they they hold the promise, and we trust that promise spoken in the words, and that's why speaking the words matters. Whereas Simon here comes along and he says, oh, just let me buy this power, right?" It's like and the, the apostles rightly recognize when we don't control this power, God does. And so Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray that the to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And he, and he goes on. Uh, from there. And Simon does say, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So there's repentance. Yeah. And he showed, he showed the fear of the Lord. Right. And it's, that's a very good thing. That's a very good thing. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad for it. But, uh, I think that's a, that's a place where we can point people to say, this is, this is what it means to use satanic arts when it tries to use, uh, the promises of God, but flip them on their head. So that now instead of promises that God is graciously fulfilling in their lives, they're like, their demands that we can th- put on God and say, now God, you're going to do everything I want you to do. You're going to, I'm going to win the lottery and I'm going to, and I'm going to, you know, get the, the, the fastest, nicest car and all of this stuff. And it's just, no, that's not, that's not what, what it's doing. Because sometimes God says no to our prayer because our prayers are, are not what's best for us. We want things in our lives that are not good. And God will sometimes say no because he doesn't want us to to suffer under our own desire. When my kids ask me for ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? And I feel like it's, oh, well, they asked. I have to give it to them. (laughs) Uh, Am I actually loving those kids? (laughs) No, of course not. As a parent, I need to say to them, yeah, you can't eat ice cream all the time. That's not good for you.
0: So one of the things that I say to the catechumens, I will use the illustration of the iceberg and that what we can see above the waterline is nowhere near uh, what is what is below. Whether I'm right or not, I usually talk about everything that you said before about the cursing and the swearing is like above the waterline. I wouldn't say the bigger sin, but a bigger issue is everything else, everything that you've been talking about, the witchcraft, the lying and deceiving in his name. These are the things that usually we don't pick up on. Uh, we, don't, we don't see them as readily or hear them uh, as quickly as OMG, GD, what have you. Yeah. And, and look, we've got entire broadcasting networks that teach God telling people certain things that God never said, and those are applauded and a big money-making industry actually
1: right and that's why they need to be opposed the truth needs to be held out uh, the truth of Scripture because that's that's how we test the spirits now as we look at the positive side of this we haven't really quite addressed yet why the Lord's name matters so much but I think you were getting to the point uh, when you said well we wouldn't use our mother in the same way why because no one likes having their good name used for disreputable things and yet we are so eager to use God's name for disreputable, base, profane things. The way we'll drag God's name through the mud, which we wouldn't do to, to a person. And, and it's this Well, way. it depends on the person. Well, sure. But We wouldn't do it to our mother. Well, we wouldn't do it to our mother or father, right? We, or in fact, we might stand up, right? Uh, the, old, the old thing used to be, you know, if somebody said something about a person's mom, they'd be like, what did you say about my mother? and 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 this is the thing right we i think in this day and age we don't quite understand the value of a person's name we have we have like little echoes of it like oh, oh this is my good name right you're dragging my good name through the mud and i think that is getting just to the heart is our name is kind of our symbolic identity in the world when you say uh, ben okri did that and you and it's a lie i'm rightfully offended just like God would be offended if you lied using his name or lied about him. When we curse or swear by God's name, we're trying to put ourselves in charge instead of him. We're trying to control him by using his name in a way that we have power.
0: But he does give us his name to use it
1: correctly. Yes. And, and, and again, think about how powerful it was when Moses was talking to God in a burning bush this God that he just barely understands, you know, he was raised as a, as a, as an Egyptian prince. And then he comes to, uh, this, this tribe that doesn't really know God either, but he has a sense of who his people are. And then all of a sudden God appears in this burning bush and he's just like, you're on holy ground now. And he's having this whole conversation with him. he goes, and at the end he says, Oh, they're going to wonder who you are. What's your name? And, and this is the first time god gives his personal name i am uh, that i am i am who i am yahweh this is a $25 word $25 word warning coming in the
0: tetragrammaton te-
1: the tetragrammaton yeah the and and it's called that cuz tetra for the four letters uh yahweh moses was now bearing god's name forth and this is another important understanding for us as christians we are the bearers of Christ's name.
0: Well, the name was put upon us in our baptism.
1: Yes, and and so one way for us to understand this is like this puts a burden on us. I can't. I I ought not to live a a lying or deceitful life at all because I'm bearing this name of God into the world, and and people are looking at me and saying, "What, what are these Christians about?" And and uh, God doesn't want us to solely the name that's that's put upon us either. Uh, instead, He wants us to use it in prayer and in worship. Call upon it in every trouble. Uh, that's an echo, again, of the first commandment. Where are you going to turn when problems come? And and so often, uh, our instinct is to not turn to God, but, you know, to my bank account, to my parents, you know, whatever resource I might have at hand, right? And how often do we forget just to pray about the problems in our life? Until like, Five or six steps down the road, you know, three days later, we finally remember, maybe I should pray about this problem that's not going away. Uh, so call upon it in every trouble, pray. And of course, praying is more than just asking for help. There's, there's lots of things we do in prayer, more than just request things. And so that, that, but it's really living that life of relationship with him. Praise, there's worship, and give thanks. Thank him for when he answers your prayers and, and provides his blessings to your life. And and those are those are ways that please God for us to use his name. That's how we we don't use his name in vain, but we, we keep it holy.
0: All right. And so then moving on to the third
1: commandment in the first table of the law. So we're going to have a nice progression here, right? Because we the first commandment deals with God kind of in his wholeness. You shall have no other gods. Then we talk about his name specifically and, and how that's something we bear into the world and, and how we should use it and not use it. Now, we're actually going to be talking about His Word, even though that doesn't pop up in the commandment itself, but this revelation of God to us um, uh, in His Word. So, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and His Word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. And the it here is His Word. So from Luther's mind, this is less about going to church as just a specific act, right? I went to church on Sunday, so I got my third commandment stamp today or this week. Uh, and more about a whole life lived in God's word. And I that's so interesting to me because, first off, we, we already have the struggle of remembering the Sabbath day. Because what is, what is the Sabbath day? Which day is the Sabbath day? Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath day,
0: when the sun goes down. Actually, on Friday
1: night, that's when it begins. Right, and then Sunday at sunset or Saturday at sunset, it, it's over. Right, right. How often have you had church within those parameters? I'm usually mowing my grass. Yeah,
0: usually within those parameters. Oh, oh, buddy,
1: you're in so much trouble. This, this is the point. Is the very first place we get, and, there, and there's a handful of denominations that are real strict on this Seventh Day Adventists. And, yeah, Ben Carson's at church, no doubt. Right, and and so, and that's because they see this as kind of a God's commanding us to worship on Saturday.
0: Correct. As uh, as a everlasting command.
1: Yes, but that is not true, <laughs> uh, and 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 this is actually in the Bible where we are. Freed. My point is this. This is one of those. This is in, in the Ten Commandments itself is a ritualistic law that we no longer are required to follow. Just like sacrificing birds in the temple or making the sin offering or the guilt offering. We don't do those things anymore because Christ is the fulfillment of them. Just as much Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath day commandment. But it isn't a fulfillment of our life of worship in its entirety. Um what we are what we are free wh- because we are freed in Christ from the demands of the law we are now free to worship God on whatever day we see fit okay but God still
0: set up a certain routine in the creation week where it seems that God says you can only go about 6 days without my gifts yeah even though we all think that we're much stronger and can go months and months and even years without receiving God's gifts. God uh, says, really this just like our cars can only go 3,000 miles on a change of oil. you can go a little bit further, but you go a lot past that, you're going to be hurting for certain. So the Lord says this is this is the good life is that you get into this rhythm of receiving all of the gifts that I have for you every six days. And so the seventh day, whenever that seventh day happens to be, whether it is Saturday or whether it is Sunday, whatever the case may be, this is to be the pattern of your life.
1: And of course, the reason why we almost all Christian churches have Sunday as the day is because... That's the Lord's Day, the day he rose from the dead. And it, and it comes with the recognition that every day we gather to worship is an Easter celebration.
0: Though it would not be wrong for some church somewhere to say we meet on Tuesdays just because this is the only day that the people can gather together or what have you. It, 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 it's, as you said, the, um, the, the requirement for the specific day is, is lifted because Christ fulfills it.
1: Yes, and actually, I want to quote the Scripture on this because I think it's important that this is not just our pious opinion to justify our our worship practice. Colossians 2, verses 16 to 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So there we have it, is that the substance is in Christ. And Christ is, in fact, the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And where do we find our rest? Do we find it just by not doing anything on Saturday? No, we find our rest in Christ himself. And that's Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And so whether we're finding that rest on Monday, Tuesday, whatever day of the week it is, we're always finding our Sabbath rest in him.
0: Well, and this is so beautiful about the divine service, is that when we come to church, what the Lutheran knows is, is that Christ is there serving us. We have been out in the world doing our vocations, serving our neighbor, serving all kinds of different folks throughout the week. And then when we remember the Sabbath, when we pause to not despise, to not to um, choose something else over preaching or his word, but we do hold it sacred. We gladly hear God's word and we learn it. We realize that Christ is here just like um, he was around the table, so to speak, uh, to wash the disciples' feet. And the old Adam and us, we stand up just like Peter and say, no, 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 no. I'm supposed to serve you. And Jesus says to us, if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. Now, gratefully, Peter got it, but so many times we don't. We think that we are to serve the gods, and these gods are capricious, and they're the ones who are constantly demanding our passion, our devotion, our money, our service, no, we come to church and he serves us, yeah. giving us his gifts.
1: That's why that language, divine service, uh, it's not service we're rendering to the divine. It's the divine serving us, which is captured in the German Gottesdienst. God's service to us. It's He wants us out in the world serving every other day. Go be out there doing, loving, being, doing that. But he does give us the special day to come and just... Let him serve us. And this is a day that refreshes us. Not only do we get our sins
0: forgiven, but we actually hear. We hear that our sins are forgiven. Faith cometh by hearing. We are absolved of our sins. We take the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ into our very mouths. The same ones who when we come into the service, say, I am a man of unclean lips, what does he go and do? He touches our lips with the very body and blood of Christ. And just like Simeon of old, we sing, we have seen and touched and beheld the very light of the world. We hear the word of God. God is speaking to us. We're not looking within ourselves for God to speak with us. We we hear it objectively and then we even say, thanks be to God, as the pastor says, this, hello dummies, this is the word of the Lord. We say, thanks be to God. And then on top of that, the pastor, in the stead of Christ Jesus, will preach these words into our very ears. And again, faith cometh by hearing. I mean, this is a this is a very, um, this is meant to be and it's not meant to be. It is refreshing. Yes, and it, it's what the book of Hebrews is all about.
1: And it's well, and it's our ground of being. It is this place where we are who we are. Is you know, when we're out there in the world just going, that's not who we are. It's it's the place where we finally get to be. Oh yeah, I'm a child of God. I'm I'm served, uh, and now I go out and serve. But it's oh, it's such a joy. And for those listening, if you can just tell this is a passionate thing for us. And, and it's so strange because it is so revolutionary to someone who's never heard it, but this, this can be old hat for us Lutherans. But I think sometimes we don't, we sometimes don't do a good enough job of even teaching our, our congregation members. Like this is what's happening here because I think we naturally get into the mindset, well, I'm here not for rest, but to do an extra special spiritual work today. Right? It's going to be my praise that's driving this. And it's like, no, it's God's service that's driving this. Your response is to thank and praise him. But that's secondary uh, by a large margin to what God is doing. I mean, all you can do is say, wow, thanks be to God that he has done this for us. And and you, you raise a really important point, too, because lest you think that you can just stay at home and have your... Your morning devotion every week, where you open up your Bible and you kind of read through and then you meditate on it, um, that's that's good, um, but it also has the problem of kind of you getting trapped in your own h- thoughts and own heart,
0: or as uh, Pastor Bruss says, uh, your own echo chamber.
1: Right, right. You're gonna you're you're going to glance over those things which are challenging, and you're going to focus on those things which you already want, and Satan is going to be using that to. To twist and manipulate and we're, we're all guilty of that and that's why he gathers us the Holy Spirit gathers us into this church um, full of people that challenge us and 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 sometimes people that we struggle to like or even love and and he gathers us, and he says guess what this is your family and you're here Re- he- reading the word at home while good was never the intention of the word the Word was intended to be preached. The Word was intended to come to you externally and hit your eardrums, right? Faith comes by hearing, right? doesn't say faith comes by reading. And, of course, could you come to faith by reading the Bible? Of course you could. But you're intended to be drawn into a community of believers where someone is preaching the Word, the pastor.
0: Well, because God uses means.
1: Right. And to despise that, right, despise preaching at His Word uh, to turn your back on church, and and it's such a modern notion. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to that place full of hypocrites. Well, I don't know if we're hypocrites or not. We're sinners, and we mess up, and we fail you. And I'm so sorry that we do. I, it, the church is, a, is is not a perfect place. But to simply say, well, because those people don't don't aren't living up to everything I hoped and dreamed they would be. Uh, what a what a foolish thing to turn your back on the goodness that's happening there, and it's it's like those people that that you know are are is any family perfect? No, but you're still a son or a daughter.
0: Sure, those people who say I don't go there because it's full of hypocrites, I always say, well, we got room for one more.
1: Yeah, right. And it, and it's true. Of course, we're, we're hypocritical. Of course, we don't always what we say and what we do don't line up. In and, and, and if that's what you mean by hypocrisy, of course. But understand this too. There's a there's an essence in us that always says, yeah, I'm always I'm never going to live up to what I say, and and in that way, I think we the church avoids hypocrisy. Uh, We have, but how how wonderful how dreary a place would the church be if we only ever said what we could ever do? What what kind of lowest common denominator place would the church be if we didn't say things that we struggle to live up to? God's word challenges us every moment of our lives be better than who we are. Right. And if I ever just get to stand there saying, yeah, no, I got that. May it not be Lord. And well,
0: wasn't there a guy that came to Jesus? And, uh, when Jesus gave him a list of, of the commandments,
1: what did he say? I got that. What else you got? And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he says, Oh, I'm about to burst your bubble friend. Right. And, and here's a picture of love that doesn't fit the, 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 kind of Sunday ice cream version that we're so obsessed with. He loved him. And he said, okay, you lack one thing. Give away all you have Help the poor and needy.
0: Well, that's commandment one, (laughs)
1: right? Well, and, and it really is part of all the, all the, the second table of law too, right? Love your neighbor. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. And uh, yeah, he had taken, we saw who his God was in that moment. It was his wealth. So, this is this is i just go to church and even if your church has let you down go to your pastor and say i feel like this church has let me down and here's the ways that it's happened and hopefully he has the wherewithal to kind of hear you out and and say well it's really sad and and here's what you need to do no matter what the pastor says here's what you need to do you need to forgive (laughs) and you and 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 one thing that we we so tend to do in this day and age is we tend to treat church, uh, our membership in a church like a country club. Right? I go to church, uh, you know, I, I put my money in the basket or, you know, I go to church because I get something out of it. And if I stop getting something out of it, then I should change my membership, right? If the green fees get too high, right, I need to go somewhere else. Your membership in this church is, is membership in a family. And and I know, like, we've struggled with that here in, in Topeka where uh, people will – Know, jump from one Lutheran congregation to another and we pastors have had to step in and say look running away from your problems is not what God's calling you to do if you're feeling let down if you're feeling disappointed do the do the harder thing do the scarier thing and say I'm go to these people who are your family in Christ and say I'm feeling let down I'm feeling disappointed um, what can we do to address that problem but also can we talk it out so we can come to a place of forgiveness. And it's so sad to me that we would much rather run away. And of course then the problem even gets bigger where people are like, well, I'm going to go to this church over here. And, and it's close enough, right? <laughs> um I'm, you know, this this has you know, and and it's just this membership mentality and I tell you when you when you let your roots dig deep into a congregation, you know, and then when trouble comes, um you you'll weather it. Well, and and I've seen it time and time again. You come out of it stronger. Like God, God's not out to destroy His church. When trouble comes, He's trying to bring us closer to Him and closer together as His people. And and that's you know that's what it means to hold God's word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Uh, to come to church, right? But also to recognize all of what church is. It's God serving me, but it's God serving me in a fellowship of believers that have been gathered together uh, as His people to be to be his people and to hear that word together and for me to to say boy how can i bring god's word into this person's life who's i mean it's just i love church and and that dimension is you know cuz i think sometimes too we can just sit there and be like this is just about me and me hearing god's word and me confessing my sins and me being forgiven and that's never true <laughs> God didn't say where one believer is sitting around, I'm there. He says wherever two or three are gathered. And, of course, why, why is that? Well, there has to be somebody to preach, and there has to be someone to hear. And, uh, and that's why he says two or three, because that's the life that he expects us to be living in.
0: I wanted to touch on a passage of Scripture. You're familiar with it. I was reading it with uh, one of my children just this past week of um, Eutychus, who falls from the window when Paul is preaching. And uh Eutychus uh means lucky, by the way. Uh so lucky falls from the window and uh, it says uh, the text says there in Acts, um they they picked him up dead. Yeah. Paul goes down and he says, Life is in him. And he's referring to this is what Pastor Bruss says, he's referring to the fact that the Eucharist. Jesus' life is yeah. in him. Yeah. It's not like somebody put their finger on the wrong part of his neck and couldn't feel a pulse, and Paul comes along and does put his finger on the right place and says, no, 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 there, you know, there's a pulse there. He'll be fine. The believer in Christ Jesus, one who takes the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus into their mouth to eat for the forgiveness of their sins for life and salvation, they, they are bound to that they're bound to the body and blood yeah. and they are united as you're talking about there is life in them and as a result of that that is not something for some lone ranger christian to
1: think that they they are in the life of the church yeah and you know you come you come around the lord's table and you you never come up there alone <laughs> you come up there and you 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 kneel with a, a whole bunch of other uh, uh folks your 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 brothers and sisters in Christ family and and think about this uh, when you're dismissed the pastor says i made this body and blood of our lord and savior jesus christ strengthen and preserve you in the one true faith until life everlasting depart in peace and that's not the pastor just saying hey have a nice day right he's saying He's saying, uh, you're, you you can die now <laughs> right? Uh, because you have life in you, right? and even death cannot take that life away from you. That's right. And I very diligently point that out when I have a funeral sermon. As I always say, the last time I saw this person commune, them, the, the the thing I said to them was, depart in peace, and now they have. Mm. And that promise has been fulfilled. And of course, we even go further by singing uh, the Nunc Dimittis, the song of Simeon, where he says, hey! I can now depart in peace, and he's he's saying I can die. That's right. Because I have beheld the Lord. And what we're saying is I have beheld the Lord here in the Lord's Supper. And we, you're not going to get that sitting at home alone with the no, Bible, right? No. Yeah.
0: And, co- and if I can back up, because that's a wonderful point. I mean, if I can back up to, to what happens in your service and what happens at our service is something that Daniel Ross was talking about just a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Ross, he was saying how even when we share the peace, you know, the theological ramifications for that, Take us back to where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you have something that you're presenting at the altar, and remember that you've got some sort of grievance against your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother. We typically look at that period of time, that sharing of the peace of, hey, how you doing? Oh, did you, are you still have that, that post-nasal drip? You know, no, no, no. The, the point is to say, I've got no beef with you, Because whatever I had with you, it's not nearly as grievous as my sin against the Lord, which takes us to, as you know, that parable of the king forgiving the man or the large amount of debt and then finds the other guy who owes him just a small amount of debt and shows him absolutely no forgiveness whatsoever. So the point is, is that in the Lutheran liturgy, the theological practice is i got no grievance with you before i go and not only am i absolved from the pastor through my ears but now i'm absolved through my mouth it's a very it's a very tactile thing it's a very concrete thing it's not a it's not a um ethereal existential type of thinking that's going on here it is very concrete that even a child and understand,
1: yeah. it's it's not that reaching your hand up to heaven like as if somehow you're gonna be able to to grasp some invisible current of God. It's here it is, and it's coming. Taking an it, and, and, and there it is. Taking and, 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 and even those little ones at the altar, when I put the cross on their forehead and I say, you know, may God bless and keep you in your baptismal grace. I'm reminding them of their baptism, that concrete pouring of water with the promise of God. Oh yeah, as you can tell, Lutheran pastors, we love worship. And I hope you can see why, that it's not just this human obedience thing. It, it, it's so much richer that God is active and moving in our lives in this way. And, and you make a good point, right? It's, it, it makes me so sad when people run away from their congregation because it's, it's let them down. Because what they're doing is they're, they're trying to escape, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. They, they want their relationship to God to be that one-on-one thing. And God says, I don't want it to be lived out one on one. I want your I want my forgiveness to be lived out in your life one with another. And and it, it it's heartbreaking for a pastor to see someone trying to escape that.
0: Well, look, you know this. When Jesus died on the cross, that was not a private thing. Right. Hell is not a private thing. Heaven is not a private thing. It's all very public. And so you're talking here about somebody who is saying, I want a private relationship with Jesus. Yeah. It's just me and Jesus yep. and nobody else. And Jesus says, mm, that's not the way it works.
1: Right. And, and the reason that's not the way it works is because when we get into that, we get into the echo chamber. And, and all of a sudden, our relationship with God doesn't become one of God, creator and creation, savior and redeemed um, uh, or or anything like that, it, it comes into, all of a sudden, we start to see ourselves as equals. And then without without doubt, surely we start to put ourselves over God and we become uh, the controller of the relationship. Oh, you know, I mean, yeah, the Bible says this, but I'm sure God doesn't mind this sin in my life. And how wonderful it is to have a, a congregation of believers who come to you and say, what are you doing? Mm. God's word's real clear on this. And we're going to, we're going to hold your feet to the fire, not to not to punish you, but that you would come to repentance, right? Uh, just like Peter's harsh words to Simon, right? D- don't be that. Don't be that way, right? Stop it, <laughs> stop it, stop it. And and it, one of the best things the congregation can do is, is say, "Stop it," not in anger, not f- with some kind of sick, twisted glee and seeing someone uh, kind of caught out, uh, but in love that they would like so, so that i can grasp your hand and say we have peace because we are forgiven and uh, you're not trying to keep this sin as something that doesn't need to be forgiven it's a joyous thing it's a, it, but it's hard i mean the, the 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 life that god calls us into is is not our own and it's a life where we're like boy i i'm not in control i'm letting other people have say i'm letting other believers come to me and say things that on my own i would just be like get out of here right but because I love them and because I know that God has put them in my life for a purpose, I hear them. And I let them and, and, and I let their words bring me to a place where I could not bring myself of, of recognition of sin and repentance and then finally forgiveness. What a joy that is.
0: Well, you have been listening to the Pluck Chicken podcast where Pastor Oakery has been taking us through the first table of the law in Luther's small catechism. If you would like to get a copy of the Small Catechism, just reach out to us at St. John's Lutheran Church here in Topeka. We'll send you one, or you can always find one online or on your app. So whether you want the hard copy or on your phone or on your laptop, what have you, it is available. Those copies online are free and we'll certainly send you a small catechism if you reach out to us. All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Oakery. We'll pick it up next time with the second table of the law. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or St. John org.